Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Greetings, people, agorists, and free thinkers around the world. Welcome to Unloose the Goose. Today we have Nicole Sauce, Jack Spierko, and myself, Xavier Hawk, and we will be discussing three main topics today. One will be just getting in there and doing it, getting out there, figuring it out, what it is that you want to accomplish, what it is that would make your life a better life, that you can handle yourself and take accountability for, and just how to take those first steps. Also, we're going to be talking about some of the interesting cryptocurrency news that's on the market. We've got El Salvador as well as a couple other countries soon to be that are going to be accepting cryptocurrency, especially Bitcoin, as a fundamental uh, actual currency. And then we've got the, the trans something pipeline that, that burst or had a hack. And the FBI said that they were able to get the, the Bitcoins back from the from the thieves. How does that happen? So we're going to dive into those three topics today. Hope you stay with us. If you are watching on the live stream on YouTube, please put your questions in all caps so that we can see them and put them to the geese. Welcome, my friends. How are you guys? Good. Good. Awesome. So, Nicole, in terms of just getting out there and doing it, like it it matches with the whole cryptocurrency talk, but it seems to be like some sort of block that people have. Um, so actually getting out and, and, and picking up the thing that they want to do or the, the skill that they want to accomplish or the preparedness that they want to do or have, you know, more skills in homesteading. What do you think is blocking people? Well, there's a lot of paralysis by analysis going on, especially in the ag- agorist world, where it seems like people want to find those really creative lo- loopholes. And I just got back from being at the Rogue Food Conference, where the whole purpose of that conference is find loopholes you can use to get wholesome food that's raised by real people on real land with real animals or plants to the people who want it without a bunch of bureaucracy standing between the grower and the eater. And it got me to thinking because so many people are hesitant to do anything without asking permission that that seems to be what happens in the agorist mind sometimes is we're trying to find all these loopholes to use when Half the time, if you just evaluate the risk and you realize the consequence isn't that bad, you can just do it. It's not that you have to find the loophole necessarily. Everybody needs to make their own decision. But you can spend so much time finding the perfect loophole that you never get started and then you got nowhere. I think the part part of agorism is you build risk into the revenue model, right? If, if, If the risk is you're going to get a fine. Right. If, if I'm going to get a fine for, let's say, $5,000, but taking the agorist model and using it saves me $10,000 in fees and structure, licensing, et cetera, and I'm only going to get the fine if I get the fine, and I might not get it at all, all I need to do is set aside five grand so that if I get the fine, I can, I can pay the fine. Now, that could mean being shut down or what have you, but I think what happens is when you get off your ass and do a thing, and you start going along the way, you start figuring out the loopholes. I think that what what Nicole's getting at is I think some people are trying to figure out all the loopholes before you take the action. Well, it reminds me of like, you know, oil and gas companies 
companies or Nestle, people that pollute the, the country and they get fined and they just build that into their revenue model. They're like, yep. Yeah. I mean, if it's good enough for them, then it's good enough for you folks. Yeah. And if you do business in internationally, you build bribes in. <laughs> you can't bribe here, but you can't. It's part of business in other places. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. He was kind of like a Bernie Madoff type before, way before Bernie Madoff, though. It was a guy back in the 80s. He ended up being a fall guy in investments. And he ended up like making $250 million and he got fined $9 million. Oh my God. And I think he went to jail for like two weeks. So and like, I, I'll go to jail for two weeks and pay nine million bucks if I can have what two hundred forty-one million clear at the end of it, right? Like, <laughs> I and they didn't take the money back, right? It was wow. like I see, and I think we need to think that way. I think that part is that of this is like when I was in more conventional businesses, I learned really quick that if you asked your attorneys, "Can I do this thing?" they would basically try to talk you out of doing anything. Like, because their job is to keep you from being sued or going to jail. So how do you do that? Do nothing. If you just sit there, right, and don't do anything at all. Neethi's with us. But if you sit there and you don't do anything at all, you won't get sued and you won't go to jail, right? Yeah. But um, if if you do that, you don't make any money. So what you had to do was, like, you took the counsel of your attorney. You took all the things they advised you with. And you said, okay, that's great. Now, tell me the best way to do this because I'm going to fucking do this thing, right? Like, we're going to fucking do this. So I need the best path forward to do this. And they either gave you a path forward with your mitigation strategy or you got a new lawyer. And I think that when you're small time just getting started in the world of agorism, you kind of have to do that for yourself. And then you do have to realize a lot of people are really worried about, you know, well, they'll shut me down if I'm selling eggs or something. Like, no, they won't. (laughs) Come on. Like, you know, like, no. You're gonna like you're gonna be so small when you start out. You're you're like security for obscurity, and like you're learning the skill set as you go, so, so to say. I've you got know, hi Neethi. Hi Neethi. I've got something hi, to add guys. to that. Oh, good, your audio works. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Is my gain too high? Sorry. No, I can hear you all right. You, you might like want to um like tilt your camera down a little bit. We can barely see you. You're. I'm kind of um, I'm kind of incognito because it is 90 million degrees. Ah, okay. Uh-oh. I'm dying, but also I can't miss all the fun. Cool. <laughs> well, I'm, wear- I'm wearing the shirt you gave me. Look at this support I get. I don't care. Me and Nicole, we had the best time. Are we gonna like get into all the cool stuff we did? We had so much. We had a fun time. Uh-huh. Late, we're doing kind of three topics merged into one. We're going to, we're talking about just doing it as an agorist versus finding loopholes and when you find loopholes versus when you just do it, which kind of fits in with rogue food that Nicole talked a little bit about. We're also talking about cryptocurrency and how that kind of blends in with this. We're talking about what, um, what's, what's happening with El Salvador, uh, basically allowing Bitcoin to be used as legal tender. And that has, as of today, from my understanding, has passed and it's effective immediately meaning you can use, trade, spend Bitcoin in El Salvador with no tax consequences, just like you would any currency, uh, which actually kind of displaces the dollar since El Salvador uses the dollar as their official currency. And we're going to talk a little bit about Colombia pipeline, like how did the FBI magically get the Bitcoin back? Because that doesn't make any sense if you understand how Bitcoin works. So that's where we're, we're at. So up to speed now. Yeah, but we can definitely cover the rogue food conferences. Yeah, absolutely. But I- 
make one quick one quick uh, jab at everybody out there who is not doing anything um, because of analysis by paralysis. I suspect some of them are also some folks who would probably not want to wear masks outdoors or in buildings um, simply because it's their body, their choice, and they want to make sure that they're safe and not have to be breathing in their own exhaust. So they're going to do that and not worry about the consequences there, but then get worried about the consequences about getting a fine, you know, when they're not, when they're, when they're selling eggs that are unlicensed or whatever that, that, you know, their, their little business that they want to do, or even just like a gardening project. Like if you're afraid of the consequences, yet you're out there talking about agorism and wanting to live free and be able to determine your own destiny, then, then you've got to calibrate that, you know, and take the same kind of, uh, stance with your own success as you would for your beliefs in, you know, health and well-being and self-determination. And, and, and I can tell you what the consequence for selling unlicensed eggs is in, in Tennessee. Because I, I did that. I was selling them and my font size was wrong on my label. Oh, no. They wrote me this t- this ticket that said warning and handed it to me and told me I needed to increase the font size. A font size? Yeah, so like they handed me a piece of paper and I was like, well, okay. And You're like, okay, well, thank God. Oh, my God. Thank God for the state. Yeah. Can you see the horrors of buying eggs with the wrong font size on the carton? They were surprised I had a label. Most people don't have labels and get in trouble for that. Oh, God. Oh, my head hurts. You have to say that they're unclassified because they could be all different sizes. This, is, this was at a farmer's market? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They would hate us. We reuse the commodity <gasps> egg cartons. No. You're going to kill people, Nisi. They'll no. die that way. You understand. Like, those cartons are toxic once they've been used once. It's, it's. I mean, they're a million dollars. So we just tell everybody to steal them from all their neighbors, and then we reuse them. And so we're just filling them with good eggs and not the bad eggs anymore. But we do put a black mark over it so they know we're not trying to – we're not trying to pretend Burger. that we're the the crap eggs out of the store. Right. <laughs> All right. You know what I think is interesting about this, um, and I think that uh, Nicole and I can like we did a workshop on Friday, and a lot of folks thought I was too political <laughs> and personal. No. I was just, I mean, the reason we're at Rogue Food and the reason I went rogue is because the politics doesn't allow me to have food freedom. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're why are people homesteading? You're entering the phase in your life where you become anti-political, so everybody calls you political. I've been dealing with that for years, you know. I mean, Jack, you're doing the survival podcast. Yeah, I'm too political. Why are people wanting to be survivors if it wasn't a political? Isn't that political? I don't know. I don't even consider myself political. I consider myself apolitical because basically I think they're all bastards. Like to me, political is like you should vote for my side because my my side can fix everything. They're super serial about it and they can fix it. Um, to me, apolitical is okay. They're all bastards. Here how we here's how we get around them, or here's how we ignore them, or here's how we make them obsolete. And I think that's more your position too, from listening to you and the time I've talked to you. That I mean, I told him I'm an anarchist. So that's the, how can I be political? I don't choose a side. I don't have a party. I, I, know. I don't think they know what it means. 
I think no. they think that I'm supposed to go loot. And no, anarchists are those people those with black clothes on TV burning shit. That's what they think an anarchist is. Yeah, now, exactly. I, I don't know how you can be on TV demanding that the government do more shit and then call yourself an anarchist. I don't, I, I don't follow. I don't track with that. But that's what people think it means. Yeah, yeah. I don't want any. I'm not. I am not waiting for someone to come save me. I just don't care. See. Uh, Nicole's wearing my shirt I was selling there that says, I don't care. I was trying to I was gonna say, but why? I'll have that by next time. Yes. <laughs> I was saying, I, I was telling people, I said, practice these words. I don't care. And they got really upset. They're like, you can't just say, I don't care about everything. I'm like, yes, but you can. <laughs> I you can say, I don't care about all the things I don't care about. Well, yeah. I said, if you're wanting to go this way and you're not wanting to go this way, then you can't care about the things that are going this way. You can only care about the things that are going your way. Isn't that true? I mean, I don't know. I've had people get mad at me when I tell them, like, turn the news off and stuff. And I think people have this weird dynamic in their head that they think that, like, they're caring and paying attention about a thing that's on the news actually affects it. Like, they, they think that, it, like, if they stop looking at it, like, something bad will happen. It's like, I don't know, have you ever seen, like, stupid... Superstitions people have, like when their team's kicking a field goal, everybody turns the label of their beer at the TV, like it's going to yeah. make the ball magically go through the uprights. And like people do that, but they know it's bullshit. They just do it because it's a goofy thing to do. I, I think it's like that dynamic plays out in, in the news and people think it's real, like that they're, they don't know it's subconscious. They think if I, if I stop looking at this, something horrible will happen. And I don't know. It might be horrible for the state because I'll have less power over you. Otherwise I, I think it'll be okay. I think that, you know, if, if somebody really important dies sooner or later, somebody will tell you. I mean, like you don't have to pay attention to this crap. You know, I see the hesitation in the just do it philosophy or just getting started philosophy in cryptocurrency a lot. Yep. From people in our community who want to get started with cryptocurrency, which John Bush has that whole training thing. Uh, Vin Armani has a, a introductory class that helps you understand how it works. Both of those resources are great resources, but they're, they're on the forums asking how to do it without being noticed by the government, without KYC, without yeah. paying taxes. How about jump in the pool first? Right. Just jump, jump in the learn, pool. Learn how to get money into a wallet and then, and then like spend that. Well, learn I, I how to back it up. Like just start using yeah. it and don't worry about that other stuff. Well, and if you want to hold cryptocurrency, you don't have to ever pay taxes. Even if you send a letter to the IRS saying you're doing it, it doesn't work that way. And I said this is like one of the things that holds people up. Like if you want to buy Bitcoin to hold it, you can go to Coinbase, which is probably the most KYC thing in the world. You can buy $500,000 worth of Bitcoin if you want to. No problem. You can put it in your off-site wallet and hold on to it. Coinbase can send a picture of you in a Bitcoin shirt petting your dog with your wallet displaying its balance, right? And you know how much you owe in taxes? You say. Zero. Until you sell it or spend it, you don't owe anything. And most of these people, I don't think they really want to, like, buy it and spend it and buy it and trade it and become, like, day traders right away or anything. So, like, if you just want to hold some crypto, go buy it. There's no tax consequences to buying cryptocurrency. No matter what kind of cryptocurrency you buy, no matter where you hold it, it doesn't exist. Like, but if you really want to do it privately, sell some of the shit you sell, and you should be selling something, 
for cryptocurrency. Get a wallet, have an address, send it to the person, one-to-one exchange, done. Then there's no, there's, there's no, there's no like Coinbase exchange or Binance exchange or whatever. It's, that is even with Bitcoin, that is, trust me, the, the IRS even has better things to do than worry about you sold $50 worth of eggs for Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever. I think everybody wants you to tell them what it feels like in the pool, but they don't want to jump in, in yet. And I'm like, just jump in and then see, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You could jump into the shallow end. You might stub your toe, but you'll be okay. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. You'll be all right. You know? Well, I think this is goes back to the training. Like the diminishment, you know, no nobody's allowed to... Uh, walk in their full power. We talked about this at Rogue as well. Like, you know, just walk in your full power. You're, you, you're a grown up. You should have big boy, big girl panties on. And it's, it's like, you know, it's okay to just go. I mean, be prepared to make a mistake. It's not, you, it, you can't get it wrong. You can't get it that wrong. I mean, don't invest. If you're trying Bitcoin, don't invest more than what you're, than you can afford to get wrong. But yeah. the same with the business, right? Sorry. No, that's cool. It's, it's mostly about getting in there and doing it. Just buy five bucks worth, buy 10 bucks worth, right? And then, then all of a sudden you have it in there. And so you think about it before you actually have it. You're like, Oh, that's something I could do in the future. But then once you have it, then it's like, Oh, this is something I, I should learn about because I want to take care of it kind of like a garden. And I want to learn where it's applicable, where I can go use it, how I can trade it, how I can get more value back out of it. How long do I have to wait? How do I find out what the price is day to day, moment to moment? So once you actually get some, you start taking part in the ecosystem and then you find out more and learn more. And then, you know, next thing you know, the more you're having conversations with people more about crypto and you start learning even more and about like privacy coins and how to how to, uh, you know, work smart contracts and what they do. And all of a sudden you're you're in the whole new digital economy of the world, which is where everything is going. Right. I I just think that people need to start thinking a little differently and start thinking back like, okay, when you were a baby and you wanted to walk, like you just decided you were going to walk one day and you got up and you started crawling and then you tried to stand up and you pulled yourself and you fell on your face and you kept doing it until you walked. And then one day you were running and then running looked easy. But if you had started as a baby with enough, you know, intellectual capacity to, to basically look at like a, uh, like an Olympic runner and say, well, if I can't do that, then I shouldn't even do this. And you'd still be crawling around and drooling on yourself. And, and that's just what so many people do with crypto, with agorism, with business in general. Like your business doesn't have to be and probably shouldn't be 100 percent agorist. I I play, you know, I'm not Sal. I pay taxes. I, I pay plenty of taxes. I'm just really good at like creatively spending my money according to their system so that I pay a lot less taxes than most people with my income would pay, you know, and then some things happen that I don't know. I forgot about, I can't remember, you know, but like the mafia guys, I've always said, it's good to have a legitimate business, you know, like you got to have a legitimate business. True. Got to have some uh, laundromats. Some laundromats. As you're going down the agorism path. And if you're new to it, if you haven't learned business basics and biz- something about business finance, that's okay. Start. Start. You don't yeah. have to learn all about finance, but understand what income and expenses are and gross revenue and net and all of these different terms and how those things work. You can YouTube university that if you can't find another way to do it. 
But, you know, and that's, I think for me, that's the part that sometimes I'm surprised when somebody doesn't understand how revenue comes in, you take expenses out, there's an amount left that's considered the taxable income. Like that formula is how that works. And I think it's because we've been brought up learning that your income happens and then you pay taxes and then you use the less, the, the rest for expenses. Mm-hmm. It flips it on its head when it's in business because you get to take the cost of producing things out. And when I drove to Rogue Food Conference, every mile I drove. Absolutely. You know, it's tax write-off. When I go on vacation, I always talk about it on the air. I always write about it. I always test products that I review. So, And I always meet with people who are strategic partners. I happen to have some strategic partners in Florida, which is my favorite place to vacation. So the whole thing is a business trip. So I fly first class because it's better, and I'd rather spend the money than let them have it. I mean, it, 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 and I think that, like, until I don't want to move like, the money right now. That's the other part of it. I think that's an important point you're making. You, 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 you have to start thinking totally differently. But, like, what this all makes me think of is how many excuses people will make that are, like, 40-year-old men and women. And, like, what is – why don't you just get this on, on a little bit more ethereal level? I had a kid on my show today, 22 years old. He's running a business, he's greenhouse, he does plant propagation, he does produce at the farmer's market, does all kinds of side hustles. He's already married at 22 doing all this stuff. I'm sure he's paying taxes very little because he's not got a huge income yet and he's, you know, driving around and that's one of the best deductions. That's a phantom loss right there if there ever was one. That's why Uber drivers and Lyft drivers don't pay any taxes if they know what they're doing, right? But they make money, but on paper they don't make money. Um, but this kid, he was a junior in high school. He was really digging, working in the greenhouse that they had at the school. Well, his professor told him, unless you take one ag class, you can't keep working in the greenhouse. So the kid's like, screw this. So he went home, built his own damn greenhouse and figured out how to do cuttings and stuff. And he made like in his senior year, after he built this greenhouse, he made like 4,500 bucks with this greenhouse that he built like out of all like throwaway windows and shit that his dad got for his construction business. And I guarantee he'd pay tax on that. And he went out and he like that taught him, well, what's a revenue model look like? How do you get a customer? How do you make a customer happy? How do you get a customer to come back again? But that all started with he just went and did it. And so, like, to me, if a junior in high school can figure that out, the only reason you're not figuring it out is either you really don't understand it, which I think is the the minority of people, you want an excuse not to. You want to stay comfortable, right? You're the, the, the have you ever, anybody's ever heard the talk by the rabbi that talks about if humans were like lobsters, we'd never grow. Like a lobster gets really uncomfortable and then it has to shed its shell and then it's vulnerable and has to hide and its shell gets hard again. And now it can be a bigger lobster. But if lobsters were like humans, they would feel uncomfortable. They'd go to the doctor, the doctor give them a drug. It would make the pain go away and then they would never grow, but they would never go through the discomfort. And that's what people are really saying is I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to not know what's in the room when I walk into the room. I want to know everything that's in the room. I want to know what color the carpet is. I want to like, no, just open the door and go look. So overthinking, I'm like reading the comments in the, um, in the YouTube chat and someone saying tactical redneck equipment is saying that the FDA won't let them use the feed. The feed company won't let them reuse the, the feed bag. 
um, because, you know, he might have contaminated it or whatever. I think a lot of the questions that we were getting, um, even at the conference, right, Nicole, were like, people are overthinking things so much to the nth degree, which is the reason why I would respond with, I don't care. And if I was saying, I don't care in response to something, it's because it's that important. It's, yeah. it's that important. <laughs> I think there are weird rules like that in everything. Yeah. And a lot of people who find themselves in this sort of illogical place and as the person subject to getting quote unquote in trouble for it, they end up with a dual system if they decide to walk around it. And often you will find a producer who does eggs, for example, using all new egg cartons that they deliver to the restaurants with their label at the right font size on the egg carton. <laughs> and then there are the other eggs that the neighbors come pick up and hand you whatever dollars for, or they trade you vegetables for them and they bring back their carton every time. There's like that dual system going on because there's no way that, that everybody can be watched at that level to make sure that they don't reuse a feed bag or don't reuse an egg carton. It's, but you, you kind of know the one in the restaurant might get looked at versus. Absolutely. Down the street needed some eggs. I mean, I'll hand them to him in a Kroger bag or something. It's also what waiters and bartenders would do when they filed their taxes, right? They get paid in cash. So they file like the minimum. They say, Oh, this is, this is how much I've made in tips. Is that what they really? No, but they're, they're playing the game, but then also keeping their, their own uh, business. Yeah, like prove it. I'm only going to claim what's on the credit cards because why would I claim the cash? That makes no sense. And that's generally what's done is the the, the, yeah. the tips that are recorded and processed through the employer are what they pay taxes on. And the rest yep. of it is just I had a shitty night and, every and night last year. It was bad. I mean, it was COVID. You guys screwed it up. Just don't be surprised I don't have any tips. Yeah, there you go. Right? <laughs> so we were talking about, are we talking about finessing the system, how to do it? Is that what this is? Um, well, yes and no. Like, I think Nicole's point in bringing the topic up for discussion today was when do you bother? Right. Uh, I don't want to speak for you, Nicole. I mean, you, you, yeah, you tell us, but I mean, well, I was you, watching a room full of people, some of whom are willing to just, some of them are willing to get arrested for their beliefs. Yeah. Some of them are willing to just go do stuff. And some are really afraid to sell the dozen eggs with the wrong label. Uh, yeah. And and I thought, well, why is there this diversity? And at some point, you need to know your risks and your consequences and then make your decision. But we have been trained to follow the rules. And and breaking that mindset can be hard. I was actually listening to the four-hour work week again. And one of his discomfort challenges is to go lay down on the ground for 10 seconds somewhere in public once a day. Don't say anything about why somebody asks you just lay down and do something physically completely out of the frame of what is normal and then don't justify it and get really comfortable, comfortable living there. And I thought that's kind of the same as get really comfortable having somebody tell you you did it wrong or that you have, you know, that you might give you a warning or you might get fined. And when you get there, you realize that none of those things matter. It's kind of like how they used to threaten us with our permanent record in grade school. <laughs> That's why I like this Buddy Lindsay guy who's saying, you know, what codes? And he's like, you know, um, our city doesn't allow that because and he's saying, so how is anybody going to find out? That's my thing. 
I'm like, how's anybody going to know? We used to, we were delivering eggs and meats to restaurants after five o'clock on Friday. Cause there's no government employee working after five o'clock, no regulators regulating after five o'clock on Friday and everything sold out by Monday. And so all the specials, all the good food would be coming through over the weekend. And that's when restaurants wanted to feature specials and things like that. So it was a lot more, um, I mean, everybody knew at these particular places that, ooh, we don't know what's going to be happening this weekend. It's going to be bomb, you know. And so it was great for the restaurant. It was great for the farms. Yeah, I think one of the things that screws with people is there's this belief that we have a hyper-competent government. (laughs) That they're just capable of, like, knowing and doing and enforcing everything. So. One of the uh, the big failures of a lobbyist group this year uh, with Texas was they wanted to get uh, a ballot amendment because it would require a ballot amendment to allow gaming in Texas for like big casinos and stuff like that. And it didn't even get on the docket because they get a short window and they only get once every two years that they get a chance to screw shit up. So they have to focus on the things they really want to do. So it didn't make it. And now they're advertising like you're getting ready for two years from now to like get this to happen, to build up public momentum, to allow casinos in Texas. Well, a mile and a half down the road from me is a convenience store, and there's three video poker games in this public licensed convenience store that's so licensed, it sells beer and wine, right? So, like, this is, and the sheriff's guy is, like, on his motorcycle, you know, in there every day, in and out. I see this this one sheriff that rides a motorcycle in there all the time. No one says anything. And there's people, there's, you know, this. I think gambling is, especially computer gambling, there's no way to look more sad than sitting there like trying to win money from a machine designed to make sure you don't win. But there's three people almost every time I walk in the place back there gambling. And if they do happen to have a good day, they'll come up to the cash register and they'll get paid. Guess what happens? Absolutely nothing happens. Nobody does anything. And those machines have obviously made, you know, the Middle Eastern gentleman that owns the place enough money that he feels comfortable continuing doing it. I'm sure he's already figured out the fine he's going to get. And I'm sure that money's sitting somewhere ready to pay the fine. He's going to be like, oh, I didn't know. I mean, like, so if he can get away with that and you don't think you can get away with, like, selling, like, vegetables and eggs to your neighbors? Really? Really? And I know that, like, you know, they, 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 like, you know, raided some pig farm in Michigan in 2012 or something. And they, 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 they do that shit so that you'll sit there paralyzed and go, Oh my God, they'll come get me. You know, they won't, I hear people all the time. They won't let me I'm like, have you tried? Have you tried? If you haven't and, tried, then what? Well, when they raid about? these farms, you have to allow them on the land too. So you gotta, that's why we were talking about if you're going to homestead, if you're going to farm, you have to be brave and you have to be brave enough to, um, be ready to use your Smith and Wesson and also put signs up and lock the gate and just say, you know, get out. No, thank you. Well, just the, other, no, thank you. the other part of a raid is it's very rare that that kind of high profile raid happens without a trail of other contacts. Mm-hmm. It happens. So you look at somebody yeah. having all their canned food confiscated because they were selling it. And that's not approved by the FDA to sell home canned food. Well, usually they've been given at least one warning and probably more than one warning. So you kind of know what the next escalation is going to be if it's going to happen. And that's why I say know your risk, know the consequences and know 
hey, this is going down the raid path and I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be that person for the movement. That might, that may or may not be your role. Some people care yeah. more than others. Some people have fun with that kind of thing. Yeah, some like people they, do. If they like to poke you, the bear. That's okay. A lot of the raid stuff, a lot of the raid stuff, it's not just they were warned. A lot of times those people are like, I know people are going to like see this as an odd equivalency or they've been taught that it's different, but they're kind of like Rosa Parks, right? Rosa Parks famous for not being willing to sit in the back of the bus. But Rosa Parks did that on purpose. They already had a plan. They knew exactly what they were doing, and they did it to get the issue in court. It it wasn't like just some random person that just happened to happen to. There was a chick, Shelly something or another. I think she's a state senator in Texas now. She was a hairdresser, and during COVID, she kept her uh, her haircut place open, her salon open, right? But but she was, like, calling radio stations saying, I'm open, and they can't make – like, she made herself a target on purpose. And then what happens, a person does this. They know the risk. They're doing it to try to make a statement. But the public, instead of saying, oh, look at that badass person doing that, willing to take that risk, thinks, oh, they'll come get me too. The, I, I hate to tell people this, like like – Sometimes your ego gets in your own way. Like, you're not as important as you think you are. It doesn't mean there's no risk. It's just it's not the risk you think it is. Like, again, I mean, the dude with the poker machines, with the cops in and out of there all the time, they know what's going on. They don't give a shit. They have other things to do. So we me and Nicole were saying you need to know your why. Do you yeah. just want to be right? Do you just want to protest? Do you just want to change a law? Or do you just want to sell your eggs? Like, you know, I I don't care about the laws. I'm like we already realized, right? We're we're anarchists. We're not interested in the politics of it. I'm not trying to make a better government. I would like to deregulate the government. So we just pretend like they're not there. That's how I operate. Like they're just not in existence. Oh, are they operating in your world? Not in mine. Well, I wonder how many people that still live in states where you can't legally buy cannabis partake of a little bit of cannabis and have a buddy that grows it in the closet that they buy it from. And then they'll tell you they can't like sell tomatoes or something. And like, right. I mean, <laughs> plants and plants. I don't and know animals, what to say. If they're trying to make plants and animals illegal. It's so crazy. Raw milk. Like what is the deal people? What is the deal? Raw milk's when we ain't skinned in Texas yet. It's still very difficult. Oh to no. Do. I was, I was at a conference where Joel Salatin spoke about raw milk, and I heard a libertarian policy think tank guy say it should be illegal. It'll kill you under his breath behind me. And I was like, you're not a libertarian. You're also not intelligent. Like, (laughs) how did humans live for thousands and thousands of years using dairy with before Louis Pasteur was even born? Like, it's so absurd. The absurdities. I mean, being being afraid of listeria and wanting to understand how that works, totally can understand it. And then choosing to never have anything but pasteurized milk, your choice. Why are you telling totally. me I can put my body? Right. You can pasteurize your milk all you want. I'm okay with that. Yeah, take the raw milk home and cook it if you're terrified of it. But at least or it was raised on grass and it's better quality. You know, it's not in a house. The creature wasn't being abused. You know, if you're terrified of it, then go boil it. And then drink it. Who cares? We don't. But at, at the same time, people who buy into the illegal frame of drugs being illegal, if mm. the only way they could save the life of their child was to put them on methamphetamines, which they are go, illegal, they go as I understand it, in most places, yeah. 
they would do anything to get it. I had a friend who had um, the kind of sunburn on her back that the skin was peeling off. Mm. And she came home from that trip and her mom somehow managed to get cocaine and rub it on her back. Wow. Apparently is really good at healing more quickly sunburn. Had no idea. She's like, I have no idea where mom got it, why she knew that. (laughs) Mom's got blow. What the hell? (laughs) Mom went and got Coke and not Coca-Cola. Wow. Wow. Cocaine for sunburns, huh? I've never tried it, but that's that's what happens. Yes, I am shocked. I mean, that's a whole new we could be producing if cocaine were legal, much more easily. Well, if if cocaine were legal, if if you look up how it's made, you probably won't do it, even if you're not risk adverse to something like that, because it's really a, a nasty process of how cocaine's made legally. Yeah, uh, but the leaves are really cool. The leaves are really cool, and the indigenous cultures that live where they grow wild used them all the time by basically chewing the leaves, and they had no addiction problems whatsoever, and no problem. Like it just, it's just not a thing when used properly. I mean, you know, the way the way it comes from nature. Apparently, when you like cut it with gasoline and shit like that, that (laughs) shit happens. I mean, you know, and I know some people like gasoline. No, that's how they fucking make it. Like I've watched documentaries like where they go and they follow like the drug drug people and the cartels and how they make the drugs before they ship it to the United States. And like, there's another example though. Like if, if the government was hyper competent, you wouldn't have drug cartels painting fucking catamarans, dark blue, taking the sails off of them, the deep, deep hole. They're not really catamarans, the deep sailboats with yeah. the deep hills, filling it up with fucking dope to where it's almost a, a freaking, um, submarine and sailing right, you know, just off the coast of California or Texas or whatever and bringing thousands of keys of drugs on shore. And I know the CIA is involved with shit like that and they make money off it, but not all of it, right? Not everybody pays the CIA to bring their drugs into the country and they get away with it to the tune of billions of dollars. And you're worried about selling a tomato to your, your, your neighbor. And I'm going to say, honestly, I think those people that say that you don't actually want to do what you say you want to do, or you would do it. I mean, I'm, I'm giving Jake hell in the chat section over here because his, some of his comments are, well, they're Jake comments. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's illegal technically to freeze dry Amish milk and sell it to people. But he's doing that and, and no one's breaking his door down. <laughs> they, they will now. They're going to get his ass now because I just said it on the air. not kill listeria, just for the record, according to yeah. the food documentation I've read. Nicole's like, I've been freeze-drying everything. Let me tell you all about it. Actually, raw milk is this week's project just because it's fun. I, I, I love what you're doing on that thing because you're talking about the priorities. And that brings us back to this. Like that conversation you recorded, I watched it. It was, it was really good. And, yeah, I mean, everybody's priorities are just um, not lined up when they're getting ready to start these businesses. Or maybe that's. That's what the, they're they're allowing. They're so feared, so feared into this the institutionalized piece again. Well, yeah. maybe they're not afraid enough, right? Because yeah. the whole premise of the survival podcast, for instance, is how to make a good life, whether times get tougher if they don't. But with the clear understanding that shit could get tough, right? And when when you recognize that things could go south any minute. Then all of a sudden you reprioritize food, water, shelter, power. Um, and, and once you start taking ownership of those fundamentals, like a survivalist would, you know, if you're out in the woods and everything went to shit, 
once you start prioritizing the base function of your survival, then all of a sudden all of the rest of it grows and you can get really profoundly successful once your base is solid. Just like in martial arts, you have to have like a good stance to be able to be effective. It's the same thing with life. And if you don't, if you're not scared enough to start learning how to grow food and actually growing it to start, you know, securing your water source and all of this stuff, then yeah, you're comfortable. You're not scared enough. You're sort of like, Hey, this is going to continue the way it's going to continue. And then you're going to face the reality of those decisions and those consequences. Well, and then there's the I cantium factor from Jack's to, to coin a Jack phrase, the I cantium. And this goes <laughs> back to business, it, which is, I don't know if I can get my stuff together long enough to learn how to do this really hard stuff, which is learn business finance and how to organize a business. It's not hard. It's a very simple, very simple framework to learn. We're just not empowered to learn it in the government schools or as part of most people's upbringing. If you tell yourself the I can't story going into that, it will be hard. And I speak to you as somebody who's numbered dyslexic. What that means is I look at numbers and they move around to the wrong places. I can still do business finance. Sometimes I get a wrong answer, but it's kind of close enough. And I can usually see, oh, I I can tell that's not where it's supposed to be. So I'm going to go find the error. But if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's not that it's a very simple thing. It just takes time and effort to learn. And that gets in a lot of people's ways from starting. They think they need to understand the entire tax code to know what expenses are. No, you need a good professional person giving you advice on what to track and how to track it. Done. You don't have to learn the whole tax code. You need to pay the right professional to help you out. And you need to know that. And you need to understand how money and expenses work. It's super easy. Just got to learn it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I money, think what, that, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to move us to the pipeline thing. Yeah, point. I wanted to talk about that. And I want to talk about El Salvador, too, because that's really huge news. The thing with the pipeline that gets me right is so they said it was a hack of the pipeline. And in my research, since okay. I talked about this earlier okay. this week, I found out there may have been some minor systems affected by it, but the hack really wasn't the pipeline. Like there was no reason <laughs> oil couldn't keep going through the pipeline. Nothing was going to explode and, you know, launch oil like a geyser, like old faithful or something. It was basically the accounting and front office systems. So yeah. the problem was they may have moved oil and not got paid for it. That's but, it. But this whole like hyper confident hackers targeted this pipeline. Like if you were a hyper confident hacker, you would probably t- target something bigger than colonial pipeline that serves the southeastern United States. Like, oh, I don't know, like the main pipeline coming out of Alaska. And you could have really screwed some shit up that way. It was using malware and malware pretty much is more like uh like a like a, a scatter bomb. Like you kind of put this out in the inner the, the, in the world, and if some dumbass downloads a thing or it, it, it gets into a place, then you figure out where it got into, and then you figure out where your demands are. If it gets into Xavier Hawk's personal computer, I might ask him for like fifty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin because I know he's got Bitcoin, and it might be worth fifty grand to him. If I ask him for five million dollars, he's going to send me a video of him like putting gasoline on his computer and setting it on fire and go, fuck you, I don't care, right? But if it's Colonial Pipeline, I know that, like, they have $4 million and it's kind of really, they're losing millions of dollars a day. They might give it to me. So this idea that, like, maybe super hackers, like, that were living in a bunker under Vladimir Putin's pool or something just didn't make sense. But then a couple of weeks later, like, well, 
the FBI got the Bitcoin back because it was moved to an address that they had knowledge of the private key for. The number of private keys that theoretically can exist is a number I can't even begin to explain. It's 32 characters, A through F, and 0 through 9. If every grain of sand on the planet was a was a new Earth and there were 7 billion people on every planet or 8 billion people on every planet, everybody would still get something like 260 billion private keys if everybody had all the private keys distributed evenly. Like, this is not a thing. You can't brute force this. There's no way. Or there'd be somebody would already have tons of Bitcoin. You'd have to know who the person was in advance to do this, or you would have had to be the one that did it yourself. And it has to be one of those two things. And the general public goes, oh, well, the FBI can, like, do this. No, no, I promise you the FBI cannot just do this. Like, I guarantee you right now, if they were like, we're going to get Xavier Hawk's Bitcoin. Good fucking luck with that, boys. Go ahead. Let's see you do it right. Get my Bitcoin. If you're out there right now, I know the FBI listens to me. I see you guys on my website all the time. Go ahead. Get my fucking Bitcoin. Go ahead and do it. Right. But they can get the super hacker that Putin is supervising state actors and shit. Like, come on. This is, this is like a psyop that's going on right now. And I think it's because they're, because of what's happening with Bitcoin in the world, really. So Jack, it's the training, right? They, the, the training is that you, that everybody fears the government too much. They give them so much power and they don't know their own. That's the problem. That's what we've been saying. You know, it's like you have all the power. You don't know how to leverage it. Every time we're talking, I mean, I'm hoping that that's, that's what we're getting through to folks here. Um, the reason I wanted to, to play with you guys over here on Unloose the Goose is because, you know, my, one of my goals is to just help people like pour power back into people so that they can realize and walk in their full power. I feel like that's the mission, right? Like I'm still on my cryptocurrency journey and the only two ways I could think besides they caused it somehow or were involved in the hack that they could get the Bitcoin was one, they had somehow had access to the private keys. Don't know how they did that. Or two, the hackers were so incompetent that they had them send it to a wallet on an exchange or something where the FBI could demand it. You don't know, I had a conversation with this about some people and they said, no, that they'd never be that stupid. And I said, well, people are stupid. Yeah. But, if, yeah. They're, they're probably, it's probably not unlikely, but it's, that's the only two ways I could think of. Are there other ways? Do you think ways? it's not all a setup so that? Uh, to I like to look at all the angles. So I was, I was, I'm asking a question because I know Xavier knows a lot. Like, are there any other ways they could have done that? I have had people come to me with wallets that they have had lost the keys to. Yeah. And I know for a fact that there exists a methodology to retrieve them. Okay. Um, somebody comes to me with enough coins in a locked wallet and they don't have the address, but they, they don't have the wallet keys any longer. We can actually get it. Okay. You have the wallet. That's the thing. You have the wallet. You don't have an address, right? If all you have is an address, you're screwed. That's not happening. Now, Nicole's right. It could have been that they, they had the money wired to an exchange, right? Which would be really stupid. Stupid, but you would do it. So you, but if you did it, 
The yeah. reason would be so that you could immediately convert it to something else and, and move it off, right? Um, but then you would not have super hackers. No, but something you said made way more sense, okay? That this was a targeted attack, not because Colonial Pipeline has so much money and can be exploited easily, but it was a strategic thing against the United States as, as a whole, right? Yeah. So whoever was doing it was doing it for that purpose, and the whole Bitcoin thing was just – they were probably getting paid to do it by somebody else anyway, right? Which and is so, if the FBI didn't get the money back, I would totally accept that explanation. You know, the FBI maybe, getting the money back, and they got 2.3 of – or 2.4 of 4.4 billion. Uh, 4.4 back. Right? Okay, now think about this. Like who the hell runs a ransomware attack and says, how much money do you guys want for this? Uh, 4.4 million. Yeah. Who does it go four million, five million? <laughs> Who makes four point four million dollars? And they right. actually got more back than it sounds like because well, Bitcoin kind of took it took it in the butt over that period. So two point four million of four point four million is more than it sounds like. I think that what either happened was they knew who it was in advance. It was possibly a sting gone bad. Or that's, it was a that sense. That sense right. bad is is becoming more my go to theory here. But I also think it's potentially a false flag. And I know a lot of people get tired of hearing that term. I have been doing what I do in my space. This is rife with conspiracy theories for 13 years, and I promise you, none of you have ever heard me say something was a false flag before. I, it is my last place I go. It has potential to be possible here it, well, it just feels like it the bitcoin right i mean it's just conveniently timed when bitcoin was already taking a hurt from elon and you know this the, uh yeah. trump saying whatever the fuck he said about it um and the fact is is that you know that came at a very difficult time and it came at a very high profile time and they probably figured out who it was and why already and that this whole bitcoin thing was added on to it as a as part of it well, let me ask you this, actually. Say you and I put our maniacal freaking technical genius minds together and we pulled off some shit like this and we, we were holding for ransom some really expensive technical system. And we were like, Hey, now that we've got them by the balls, we can make them pay us. Would we ask for Bitcoin? No. Is that what we would ask for? No. Why, why not? No. Okay. Well, it's public it's shit. Transaction fee. Flagged, right? Speed. Speed, there are way, way better currencies, and anybody who's hacking at that kind of a level knows the cryptocurrency space inside and out. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing anyway. So, so this, you asked for something that, like, was private, unhackable, and, uh, and highly terrible. liquid. So you yes. wouldn't ask for pirate, even though I think technologically it's better. It's not highly liquid. It's only on some extent. You would ask for fucking Monero. You would, that's what any sophisticated hacker would say. I want Monero. Why? Because there's 800 exchanges I can dump little pieces of it on and I can convert it and I can actually spend it and use it. That's why. Bye, Neethi. She's gone. Bye, Neethi. <laughs> She's going to go get some air conditioning. Mm. She's gonna be yeah, you would not ask for Bitcoin if you were a sophisticated hacker. That is the stupidest. And, and the reason you would use Bitcoin if you were running a false flag or a sting, sting gone bad or something like that is because you want to damage the crypto space and everybody knows what Bitcoin is. If, because if, you can and track if came on today and said, the colonial pipeline hackers have demanded Monero, everybody would go, what the, what the fuck is Monero? Yeah. Right? Nobody would know what the fuck they were talking about. So what, like, I just think everybody needs to realize whenever you hear something on the news, it wasn't told to you because it's what happened. It was told to you so that you'll have a reaction to it. 
That's right. literally the purpose of the news. That's why the news exists. So that everybody, like you had said earlier, like people, People think that by paying attention to something, they're contributing to it or whatever. I personally believe in the morphogenetic field, it does. Like the, the global consciousness. Oh, yeah. Project, yeah, I agree in that. The, the 9-11 response, like our emotional response is what they want, right? And I think that changes things. And at some level, people understand that. But the news is not there to inform you so you can make better business decisions in your life. It is there to get you to do what is better for the whole system to continue on smoothly. And people that sit at the top that decide how that works out. Not and you. I can see them not using a like an actual hacker not using a privacy coin for the barrier to entry factor for somebody who's never touched cryptocurrency. But then it, I still wouldn't use Bitcoin because it's slow and expensive. Well, I, I don't care. I'd if use it's something I could flip immediately. Let, let me see. Like, let's say if you had like like the Cold Sauce Inc. and your 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 daily revenue was like four million bucks. Yeah. And I've, and I've got you by the short hairs and I've got your whole system locked up. If I'm a sophisticated hacker, I don't give a fuck that you don't know what Monero is. I know that when I demand $4 million worth of Monero, you're going to go gonna psycho bitch on your tech people and your accounting people. And you're going to go get me fucking Monero and they're going to figure it out. I'm not worried about your entry ramp. If yeah. I'm this kind of guy, right? That's You'll figure point. it out, right? That's a good you're point. Gonna figure it out. So I'm going to ask for something that I can convert and there's nothing in the world right now that has the privacy and the liquidity of Monero. There's some great privacy projects. They're not liquid because they're on two or three obscure exchanges. And if you go dumping four million bucks, right? But if I have four million dollars worth of Monero, I can literally go, the day you sent it, it's gone, right? The CIA can hack it or whatever. Not after I move it to 27 different other places and the ring size keeps increasing. And then I can just drop. $50,000 worth of Monero over here, 25000 over here, 100000 over here. And I can part that shit out for years spending it. I can directly exchange it, whatever. Bitcoin, no matter how much you break it up, you can it's see a where- surveillance coin. You know it, and those can be flagged. There are there are Bitcoins. This is where people talk about, is Bitcoin truly fungible, right? Mm-hmm. If I have U.S. dollars, and I mean paper money, it's fungible. If I take it to Xavier, he'll accept it. Unless it was marked money out of a bank robbery, no one knows the serial numbers on it, what have you. Wait a second. Wait a second. You can actually do that with Bitcoins. You can forensically audit a Bitcoin and see every place. That yes, it's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. So when you receive $4 million worth of Bitcoin, you have Bitcoin that literally like every KYC exchange, every exchange playing by the rules in the world, the minute you deposit it, they're now running technology that flags it and says, lock this shit up. Now, this is how the FBI could have got it back and claimed hyper-competence when they didn't have it. Your hackers may have been stupid. They have, may have like butt-lucked into this hack, right? Because it wasn't – malware really isn't a hack. It's not like you picture a guy sitting there and going – Oh, I'm going to like, uh, what was the movie? Goldeneye? You know, they're like, I am invincible. And they're like actively hacking. It is more of like fishing. It's like bait put out there and some dumbass took it and they didn't really know what they had. And they're like, okay, we got to liquidate this shit. And they were stupid enough to put it on an exchange. I just, I don't see it, man. Like anybody that knew crypto would know not to do that. Like a crypto newbie six months in would know not to do that. Even a Russian. Yeah. Russians aren't stupid, man. No, no. In fact, the only exchange I ever used for the whole beginning of the crypto market was the Russian mobs exchange. I wouldn't go to Mt. Gox. I wouldn't go to any of these other fuckers. I went to the mobs because nobody would fuck with the Russian mob. <laughs> <laughs> so can we move a little bit into like 
tying back into just doing it, what Jack Maulers has pulled off, like one dude has done something that I know even Xavier, you've tried to get crypto accepted by nations. You've made major efforts. Like people with a lot more money than you, me and Jack put together have tried to do this. This dude went down to El Salvador. He started a company called Strike. And Strike does involve Bitcoin, but it doesn't have to. I can send Xavier U.S. dollars as U.S. dollars across the Bitcoin network. So there's Bitcoin, the asset, and then there's the Bitcoin network. And it, so he uses that network. He enables you to send money for no fees at all, zero fees across the whole world with a Strike account. And it effectively gives people that don't have access to banking, it makes them banked. But also you can accept and send the actual Bitcoin asset within it as well. And so he has people down in El Salvador, like like guys that fish or guys that run little tortilla carts or whatever. They're now on their, their smartphones accepting and collecting and spending and saving Bitcoin in a country that's used the U.S. dollar but didn't get any of our stimulus money, right? So, like... When I first heard him talking about that, I was like, why do I give a shit if an El Salvadorian got stimulus money? And his point was very good. He was like, well, if we print nine kajillion dollars and we devalue the dollar and El Salvador's using the dollar, at least when they devalued my money, they sent me a stimmy check, right? So I, I can take that and I can buy Bitcoin. I can pay my mortgage with it. I can put it in the bank to offset my coming inflation where they got their money devalued and they didn't get any new money. So we sucked money straight out of El Salvador that way. So he goes down there when he launched Strike and he put it together with his partner. His partner's like, we need to launch in Europe. He's like, no, screw Europe. Europe doesn't need us and Europe doesn't want us. So he moved to and lived in El Salvador, hired El Salvadorans, made this happen over a year, got in touch with the freaking president of El Salvador, co-wrote a bill with the president of El Salvador, got it submitted to the El Salvadoran Congress and got it passed. And Bitcoin is now legal tender. In El Salvador and how that differs from the United States, it's not that they will accept it. It's that it is legal tender, meaning that if I go buy, you know, 20 fish tacos and bring them to my buddies at the office with Bitcoin in the United States, let's say in California, technically I am supposed to report that as a sale of Bitcoin. And if I bought that Bitcoin for let's, let's take small numbers at five bucks and I saw, and I spent it when it was worth 10, I'm supposed to pay five dollars in tax. Because it, Bitcoin Capital is gains it, tax. all cryptocurrency in the United States is not a currency. You can't really call it a currency because you can have a currency that incurs a capital gains tax to spend it, right? It also has a loss. So if you spend your Bitcoin right now and you bought it when it was 60 grand, you take the loss. What El Salvador has said by accepting it as legal tender is you could spend it, you exchange it, whatever, and there's no tax consequences, The reason this is such a big deal for such a small, seemingly insignificant country, El Salvador does not use the El Salvadoran, you know, peso. They use the dollar. So what you have is the dollar being displaced as a national currency in El Salvador. Two more nations are like basically saying we're going to do this too. Costa Rica, which uses a currency called the Cologne, which is not as big a deal, but it's still, it's a major, that's a major country. That's like one of the wealthiest countries in Central America. I think it is the wealthiest country in Central America. And then Panama. Well, Panama officially uses the Balboa. There is no Balboa. The Balboa is not a currency. If you go to Panama, everybody uses the dollar. And a Balboa, the only way you'll see a Balboa is if you get change. A quarter Balboa is made by our mint. It's a U.S. quarter. 
It's backed by, by U.S. is a U.S. currency. If you take a, a quarter Balboa and put it in a Pepsi machine, it takes it. It's exactly the same. There is no Balboa. There's, so you have two nations, one already done, one on the verge that use the dollar as their main currency, accepting Bitcoin as legal tender. And that was all one man that said, fuck it. And he just went and did it. And, uh, it's, so let me ask you a question about that. Tiny domino that's going to knock a bigger domino and a bigger domino. And so let's say a good friend of mine decides to take his millions of dollars of Bitcoin to El Salvador. Yep. And wait a minute. He can get dollars there for them and he's not paying any capital gains tax. No, because it's so, just a like for like exchange now. Now it's, it's a currency exchange. Right. That's incredible. And now, you know, you're going to start seeing what happened to Puerto Rico, Portugal and some of these other international locations become hubs for cryptocurrency users, which will bring up their, you know, a lot of their infrastructure and a lot of a lot of uh, of their habitability. Well, and, have crazy El Salvadorian gangs, but, you know. And I don't think the United States is going to be like, oh, shit, El Salvador is going to take over as a global economic leader and we're going to do it too right away. However, you know, nations like Ecuador, there's also no Ecuadorian currency. Ecuador uses the U.S. dollar. Ecuador is going to be like, shit, we want to get in on this thing, man. You know, look what it's doing for El Salvador. And we don't get to tell Ecuador what to do. We didn't, right. we didn't like make Ecuador use the dollar. We kind of pushed them toward it, but they decide in the end, they decided to do it on their own. Like Colombia doesn't use the dollar, right? So th- that they can do whatever they want. Well, you know, Ecuador is kind of a, a fairly modern nation in a lot of ways that's looking to attract business like anybody else. When you see your neighbor do something and it works out, you tend to want to do it too. So like if you have Panama, Costa Rica and El Salvador all fall within a few months of each other. Nations like Ecuador, like possibly, and then, you know, once Ecuador does it, guess who's south of Ecuador? Fucking Brazil, right? That's a member of the BRIC alliance, Brazil, Russia, India, China. If fucking Brazil does this. Yeah. Like, and so if that all happens, and that's a big if, but I want to go back to one guy said, fuck it and went and did it. Right. He didn't worry about whether it was legal or not. And. You know, I, you know what you say about El Salvadoran gangs. Your, your problem with El Salvadoran gangs is a hell of a lot bigger in L.A. than it is in El Salvador, yeah. by the way. I'm just going to tell you, right? Like, yeah. you know. Well, okay, so two things. One, how many countries who are currently using the dollar as their basis, adopting Bitcoin as a currency, does it take to set the foundation that FedCoin is obsolete as an international currency before it's ever launched? Because we know FedCoin is probably coming here in the U.S., and then the the second thing, and this is something I, I don't know the answer to, but as a citizen of the United States of America, if I go to El Salvador and sell my Bitcoin there, I don't think I get out of anything. No. But if I give up my citizenship for the $5,000 fee that it costs, does that then change it if I've moved there? And with that in mind, how many Bitcoin billionaires are going to start moving to some of these places that do this? Well, those are interesting questions, and I'll start out with it's probably going to be more than five grand. I don't think El Salvador has a program like that to buy citizenship yet. No, you have if, to pay the U.S. government to leave. Yeah, that's the small. That's the small. Potatoes, that's where the five right? grand came from. However, there is the concept of dual citizenship, and you don't necessarily have to renounce to utilize it. Because the dual citizen still pays taxes here. Everyone I know now, does. If they earn the income as an American citizen. So your pre-existing assets are one thing. But if no. you were to acquire dual citizen, no, no, no. If you go to, if you're a dual citizen, 
You go to El Salvador, you're headquartered in El Salvador, you run a business in El Salvador, you earn income in El Salvador as an El Salvadoran citizen. You don't owe the United States government jack diddly fuck. So I'm confused because my sister is Austrian and American and she, yeah. she earns in Austria as an Austrian citizen and still has to pay an, a, a different set of taxes to the U.S. government to keep her U.S. citizenship, which she, is why people renounce. She shouldn't have to unless she repatriates the money in some way. Hmm. If she repatriates the money, that's that's a different thing. Yeah, if she leaves she the does. money in Austria, in Austria, as an Austrian, she should not have to pay. But, yeah, you can, if you renounce, you're clean. Then you're totally clean. And there are nations that have very... Easy pathways to citizenship if you have money. Costa Rica has the easiest one I know of. Costa Rica has a two-year plan. You have to capitalize a quarter million dollars in a Costa Rican bank. However, you're not buying your citizenship. You're basically demonstrating the ability to care for yourself, and you're putting money into the Costa Rican economy. So once you capitalize the money, simply meaning you open a bank account, you can then move to Costa Rica. Borrow against your own $250,000 for a mortgage and use it as collateral to your mortgage. After two years, the money's now available to do anything you want with, and they will issue you citizenship and a passport, and you get your money back. I don't know if you noticed, but the third nation I mentioned that says they're going to do this is Costa Rica. And Bitcoin aside, if I went to Costa Rica right now, I'm already putting 60 grand a year back in my pocket. The only reason I'm not in Costa Rica right now is I have a family that won't go. I, I would have went 10 years ago. And I would renounce. And they're charging five grand for that now. It used to be like 50 bucks. There must be a lot of people doing it. Libertas, Costa Rica. Yeah. Yeah. Or El Salvador. Cause I mean, like the other thing I think is a scam that needs to be run on our government. Cause I, I'm all for running scams on our government. No politician will fuck with a Native American. That is, you talk about social security being a third rail. Friggin' fucking with Native Americans is the 18th rail in politics. You will not see, no one will do it. These Native American tribes are nations that are recognized as such. They do have certain restrictions on the reservations, but they are recognized as nations. If I was a Native tribe right now, I would create a second-class citizenship that, like, no, Nicole I- and Jack can be a Navajo or an Arapaho or whatever. I would charge decent money, but not stupid money for it. And yep. I would say you can now exist as a member of the tribe and the member of our nation. And we use this freaking cryptocurrency within our nation and the United States government can go fuck itself. And That's I would, right. and I would stand on national TV and say that. And I would say you go ahead and you see any politician fuck with the poorest class of people in our country, our Native Americans that live on reservations. It can't happen. It can't happen. It cannot happen. It will not happen. That's and what I'm freaking on. That's like the fucking whole linchpin to the whole thing, right? I'm not going to go into it further, but yes, you just fucking hit the nail on the head. There I've been saying that for years. Yeah, there's, there's a really interesting thing that you can do with import-export with the Navajo. I'm sorry, with the Apache and the Mohawk, because the Mohawk are on the Canadian border and the Apache are on the southern border. The U.S. Army imports its drugs for the U.S. military, the U.S. Army people, through the Apache Nation so they don't have to pay taxes on that shit. Hmm. Thing, huh? There's a lot of things like that. Like uh, Panama has a place called the free zone where you don't pay any import export tariffs and you can mail shit from the free zone in Panama to the United States without paying any tariffs. Yeah, they have shit like that in Dubai, too. I mean, yeah, they've got these economic zones all over. And I think one of them's in Honduras. So 
Yeah, there's something like that in Honduras too, but there's I'm not real familiar. There's a reason everybody wants to go there, right? Yeah. To Honduras. Yeah. Honduras is a like a really poor country, but even in really poor places, there's really rich areas. And yeah. in really poor countries, the really rich areas are really affordable places to live. If you yeah. have like, you know, Amer- like standard American income. And I, I think there's going to be a lot more of this. And I think these nations are starting to real, like, I think that one of the things that we're not talking about here, and we, we don't have time to go into it now, but the U.S. has a very long history of telling these nations what to do and interfering in their lives and actually to the point of killing some of their leaders. Yeah. We have assassinated leaders in Nicaragua. We have assassinated leaders in Colombia. And the thing about these countries is we write them off. We don't understand how solid the people that live in these countries are. I've lived in two of them. Um, there's parts of Honduras I felt safer in than I feel in parts of Dallas. I'll just, I mean, flat out. Yep. And Honduras is way worse than Panama in some areas. And there, so there's places in Panama, like as a blonde haired dude with blue eyes, I would not fucking go. There's parts of Panama City because of what we did with Just Cause. Like, I'm dead if I walk there, right? The rest of the country, nobody will bother me. And I think these countries realize like having people come in that want to build businesses that want to use cryptocurrency, like is good for their country. And these leaders in these countries are decent people. Most of them. We, we see them all as like, um, corrupt and whatever. Man, the reason we killed them is because they weren't corrupt and they wouldn't pay ball with us. I mean, like, I think everybody should look up, uh, on YouTube, just search for confessions of an economic hitman. Yeah, listen, yeah. I know you've heard that, Hawk. Like, and listen to what that dude says about what his job oh, was, what he did. He's a really cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I think that they want to get out from under us, and that may be their way, right? You start letting Bitcoin be a legal tender, uh, and then you start being friendly. Maybe you don't even have to make the other cryptos, like, legal tender, but you should start being friendly to them. And there are a lot of Bitcoin billionaires. There's a lot of crypto billionaires, and any crypto billionaire can be a Bitcoin billionaire if they want to be. If that, if you give me a reason to be a Bitcoin billionaire and I happen to have a, you know, a billion dollars worth of, you know, other shit, Ethereum or whatever. And then these are jobs. And this, the thing is like everything you need to know to be like a badass developer in the crypto world can be learned by anybody with the aptitude and a computer screen. So now you've got something, you've got transferable, learnable skills that are available to local populations where there's not a lot of opportunity. I, I, I'm telling you, this is way bigger than people think. And I think it's why shit like Columbia Pipeline, um, the meatpacking thing, Trump's bullshit. Like the reason all this is happening right now is because they're fucking scared. And go ahead, be scared because you need to be because this shit's not going away. Right? People keep saying they're going to shut it down. Like if they could have shut it down, it, we wouldn't be talking about it today. And and I think this bring that whole international aspect brings up a totally different way to think about walking to freedom. People talk in in the, in a lot of you know we have an international audience here, but most of our listeners are in the U.S. and they talk about moving to a different part of the U.S. to be in a better tax structure, to be in a more free, less regulated state. Yeah. There's no reason you can't move somewhere other than the U.S. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just depends on what is up there. Well, you can learn about it and go. And and think of what crypto does for that movement, right? So let's say I'm not a billionaire. Let's just say I'm like your your garden variety, average, very successful entrepreneur, and I have $10 million in liquid assets in, in cryptocurrency. 
if I have $10 million in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, U.S. dollars, bank accounts, CDs, and I want, and I leave and I want to go to El Salvador for whatever reason, I'm paying a huge exit tax to get my wealth down there, right? If I have it in Bitcoin, as public as Bitcoin is, I'm just going. I don't have to take it with me, right? I just go to El Salvador. I have some numbers and those numbers let me access some other numbers and those numbers say I have money, right? Like you can't actually stop the outflow of that money. And I don't think they're worried about the billionaires because the billionaires are the ones that run the show here anyway. The people they want to keep in, the wealth they want to hold in are your garden variety multimillionaires, your people that are worth $5 million to $50 million. That's the wealth suck that can leave. It has enough money to leave, and it has enough incentive under the current structure to do so, right? And if I'm worth $10 million and I think I can become a billionaire, where do I want to become a billionaire right now? A place that says my money is all theirs or a place that says, yeah, we want a little bit of money and we'll leave you alone. You know, what's kept people out of places like El Salvador and all has been instability. That's, that's, what, that's what makes people tolerate all this shit in the United States right now is stability. But if you're going to shut down the freaking country every time there's a flu, how much stability do I have if I'm not Amazon? If I'm Amazon, I fucking love that, right? I'm like, yeah, right? We like that. The last pandemic was great. Let's have another one. Yeah. Right? Like, I get, can't you see, like, Amazon's board of directors, like, if, they, if their stock takes a shit in the next five years going, remember the good old pandemic days? How can we get, like, <laughs> I mean, really? You think they haven't? Do you think they won't? Of course they will. Maybe they did. <laughs> I'm not big on conspiracies, but you know. And on that note, look- thanks for joining us for Unleashed. Today's <laughs> all about conspiracies. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you always have to look at who benefited from a thing, and yep. then say, did they have something to do with this happening? Because they bet. Like, how does a cop solve a murder? Like, the person they <laughs> say is like, if we don't have any obvious suspects, who benefited the most by Nicole being dead? Right. Who had who who had a life insurance policy? Who did she have a disagreement with? Who who benefits the most from this thing? It's basic detective 101. Well, who yeah. benefited the most from the pandemic? The government, Apple, Ouchie. Amazon, Walmart, like all the big companies, you know, the banks, the Federal Reserve, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do I think they all made the virus? No, but they made the decisions about what to do. Yeah. And people say, you know, Amazon didn't make any decisions about what to do. Yeah. Cause they don't have any lobbyists or anything. Right. Yeah, they, they have don't... zero lobbyists. I'm confident of that. Zero. Right. They just. <laughs> Goose egg. Yeah. None. Yeah. Everybody's time. best interest in her. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're out there wondering what to do to get your dream off the ground, just do it. Start running in whatever direction you're running. Just start running. And I guarantee you, you will figure out which way is north and which way you need to be headed um, right quick. And if it's uh, if if the fear of getting got by the local uh, constabularies is making you afraid, you're usually going to get a fine or a warning in the case, like Nicole said, because the font was not right. So take that risk. Make sure that you um, you understand what like what it feels like. Go lay down on the ground somewhere. Do something that makes you uncomfortable because <laughs> being uncomfortable is the number one key to success. Being able to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations and being able to grow, learn, assimilate that, that knowledge, that experience into, into right action right there and then 
And, uh, you know, you'll figure out where and where, where you can and can't operate real quick, especially if you just go get some like cryptocurrency and you want to get involved in the crypto space. Just go get some, learn how to use the wallets, learn how to use a passphrase, learn what the different currencies are and what their benefits are. If you, if we, you know, we said Monero and you don't know what that is, it might be a good idea to learn, especially if you just go do it, then you're going to be more inclined to learn about it. So covered a lot of interesting topics today, everything from the FBI, El Salvador, and just getting out there and doing it and the food. Uh, what was the name of the food conference, Nicole? The Rogue Food Conference. There's another one August 14th in Virginia, Polyface Farm, which that's Joel Salatin's place. August 14th, eh? Yep. Roguefoodconference.com or .org. I can't remember off the top of my head. And why don't you guys uh, introduce your podcasts and, and your websites so everybody knows and your, your social media handles? Well, I'm Nicole Sauce from Living Free in Tennessee. Dot com. That's a podcast about lifestyle design, building the life you choose on your terms. So I talk about anything from raising these meat rabbits I just got to figuring out how to get your coffee roasting business off the ground. And then you can buy my coffee, which is pretty tasty, craftroastedhollowroast.com. All of that's, you know, from there, you'll get to know me. You'll find my social handles there. Very easy to find. Very cool. Jack? I am Jack Spirico. I am the host of the survivalpodcast.com, a daily audio podcast five days a week at the survivalpodcast.com. You can connect with me on social media, uh, there, but I am primarily active on MeWe and Float and I do post all my shit on Gab, but I don't really engage much there. Uh, MeWe is kind of the place you'll find me the most. You can just search for Jack Spirico there and find me or, you know, come from my website. I want to throw in with what we were talking about tonight about, you know, El Salvador and Bitcoin and all. Um, if you go to Odyssey, where I'm also active, and it won't be my channel, but if you search for one small step for Bitcoin, you'll hear the talk that Jack Maulers did about what he accomplished in El Salvador um, in his presentation at Bitcoin Miami. And it was emotional. I think he he broke into, you know, like little cracking voice and a little bit of tears like four or five times during it. Because I think as he was telling that story, he realized how momentous what he accomplished really was and what a big deal it was. And he was thinking about the people he actually worked with in El Salvador for a year and how it changes their lives. And I would encourage anybody that heard this tonight and like still doesn't get crypto. If you listen to that man speak about what he accomplished and you don't get it, then I don't know that you ever will. Cause it's not about technically getting it, technically getting it's easy. You get a wallet, you receive money. That's it. That's the whole technical thing. Like there's a passphrase and there's a freaking key and there's a private key. That's it. That's all thing. Um, it's a much bigger thing. It's about changing the way the world works fundamentally because you're changing the way money works and it's huge. And so I just encourage you guys, uh, forget about my podcast this week. Go listen to that video. Very cool. And my name is Xavier Hawk and you can find me at Xavier Hawk on all the social media sites and except for Twitter because they suck and, uh, fireon.com, P-H-I-R-E-O-N.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is episode 43 Episode forty-three of Unloose the Goose, coming to you live from across the nation. Have a beautiful day. Unloose the Goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigm's run out of time, and we've got no